Today I sit down with my friend and the man who all the guys want to be and all the ladies want to be with, Mr. Aubrey Marcus. We get deep today into some of Aubrey's leadership philosophies, some of what we believe is going on in the world right now as society and how things might progress and actually be better for a more equitable and cooperative world and society. We talk about Aubrey's new wife, Vailana, and how his journey over the past six years with polyamory led to this incredible relationship he's got now, and much more. We talk for a little over an hour here and cover some things that I've been wanting to ask Aubrey for a long time, like how did he build such an incredible tribe? And how do I grow my show to be as successful as his show? All these things and more coming your way right now. Buckle up because you're about to get served. Ladies and gentlemen, today I have the honor and privilege of sitting down with Aubrey Marcus. Aubrey Marcus is the founder, chairman, and former CEO of Onnit Labs in Austin, Texas. He is the New York Times bestselling author of the book, Own the Day, Own Your Life. He is the future New York Times bestselling author of the book, Master Your Mind. <laughs> he is the founder and leader of the Mastermind Fellowship Group, Fit for Service, which I had the opportunity to be a part of in its founding year. Aubrey has inspired hundreds of thousands or even millions of people to learn more about and possibly explore the world of plant medicines and other psychedelics. He's certainly been a driving force behind public awareness about my own company, Soltara Healing Center in Costa Rica, and uh, even uh, past ventures as well. His stories captivate the imagination and take people on a journey. Aubrey has been on the Joe Rogan podcast nearly 20 times, along with basically every other relevant podcast in the space. He's a staunch supporter of the psychedelic research and plant medicine movements, along with decriminalized nature. He is an entrepreneurial role model and leader who I respect immensely. So today I'm extremely pleased and excited to get a little bit of time to ask Aubrey some of the burning questions that I have <laughs> on my mind. <laughs> I'm sure this conversation will not disappoint. So please welcome to the show, Mr. Aubrey Marcus. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, brother. Thanks for that. Thanks for that very robust introduction. I, I appreciate all that. I mean, I literally just rhymed that off off the top of my head. Like, <laughs> I didn't do any research for that at all. Yeah, and an, an easy person to talk up, that's for sure. So what's going on in uh, in Austin right now with you? What's new in, in Aubrey's world? It's uh, it's been a lot of podcasts I've been recording, honestly, and um, I don't. They seem to go in bursts, you know. And and there's been a huge burst. I think I've done 13 podcasts in the last um, like two and a half weeks. So you know, it's just been one of those seasons where I've been really going for it, and uh, they've been some amazing shows. So that's been really the the top of my focus. We we have Black Friday, Cyber Monday. I know this won't release at the time that we're recording it, but that's uh, that's upcoming. So, you know, keeping an eye on everything that's going on and on it and then fit for service, preparing for the launch for 2021 and um, just generally keeping an eye out in the world and seeing what interesting things are happening in the collective right now, which has uh, certainly been a very interesting year. There's definitely no shortage of interesting things happening in the collective right now. So like, um, so we actually, if, if you don't mind uh, me telling a little story about how I actually came to get to know who you, who you were and how we actually got in touch, because we go back a ways, right? Like we go, we met in like 2014. Mm -hmm. So, um, so in 2014, uh, I was just uh, starting like, like to get some movement with Paul's tours. It was like, I only had uh, my ex Tatiana uh, uh, working with me at that time. We had a couple of tour leaders. So just like starting to kind of uh, expand a, a little bit. And it was, I think, in like the late spring or, or early summer of that year. And, you know, we had like a little bit of movement. But then one day it was just like 
wham, hundreds of inquiries every day for like a week. I'm like, what in the hell happened here? Um, I had no idea. And like, it was just me and Tatiana responding to emails. So it took us like three weeks to get back to everybody. And I still had no idea like what was going on. Um, so then I talked to one of the guys who it took me like three weeks to get back to. I'm like, sorry, man, I don't know what happened here, but we just got all these inquiries and it's taken me a long time to get back to you. So my apologize, my apologies. He says, well, that doesn't surprise me because Amber Lyon just went on Joe Rogan and mentioned this website, iAdvisor, and you guys were high up on the list there of, uh, of centers. So then Amber directed all these people to, uh, to iAdvisor and then it sent, it sent it to us. And actually at that time, like I didn't even really know who Joe Rogan was. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. I knew who I watched Fear Factor and everything, but like, I didn't know he was in the podcast world talking about psychedelics. Like I had my own completely uh, isolated journey from, from the world of, from that world. Right. I didn't know who on it was. I didn't know who you were. And, uh, and so this dude told me, he's like, yeah, man, you should check out Aubrey Marcus. You should check out Joe Rogan. They're doing great podcasts and everything. And, um, so I, you know, I, I, I looked you up, I found you on Twitter and I remember, I remember one day living in Iquitos, um, like being in the gym in this like terrible gym in Iquitos, like running on a terrible treadmill. It was like one of those treadmills. I don't know if you've ever been on one this crappy, but like when you're running and like every third step, the like you land on the belt and it sticks to the thing. So like <laughs> it like kind of like trips you up and yeah. makes it really difficult. So I remember I'm like there and Iquitos running on this treadmill thinking about like, um, you know, how do I reach out? You know, how can I get in touch with, with Aubrey? And um, so I got this harebrained idea to contact you and say, um, you know, why don't we like bring on it supplements into our ayahuasca program? So like, you know, you could have like just enhance the ayahuasca experience with alpha brain or whatever. And, uh, you're like at first, like, yeah, that sounds cool. Let me check to see with my people if that would be functional. And then you're like, no, nah, it's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, man, that was like six years ago. And, uh, you know, we've, we've kind of crossed paths a few times since then. Um, I was, uh, 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 had the opportunity to be part of your fit for service, uh, founding year, went to a couple ragers at your house over the years, which were just like <laughs> amazing. And, you know, just kind of ended up getting involved with a lot of the, uh, you know, mutual friends and everything like that. But one thing I've noticed about all this time is that, you know, both you and I have really gone on journeys in the past six years. Like, like I, I think, let me know if this is fair to say, but I know I'm not the same person I was six years ago. And it's, I would say, based on my perception of you, you've grown a lot in the past six years. You have, like your journey has gone in into like you know uh, uh, like next levels like levels up and so um if you don't mind me asking what what in your opinion are like the biggest kind of differences between the aubrey of then and the aubrey of now well i'm just the type of person that puts myself in difficult situations to learn what adaptations need to be made and what lessons are available in those difficult situations i mean it's one of the reasons why i love the psychedelic experience when approached the right way. I mean, this is no carnival ride. This is deep and heavy work. And sometimes it can be blissful, you know, no doubt. And those, you know, always grateful for those experiences because there's lessons in the bliss and lessons in some of the deep ecstasy that you can feel from these experiences as well as the challenge. But whatever it is, I've put myself in challenging situations to see what I could find and try and create an optimized life. And, uh, Certainly over the last six years prior to this year, my journey in polyamory was the thing that was, the, it was the hammer, it was the anvil, it was the forge, it was the fire. It was putting the maximum amount of pressure on me. Of course, my entrepreneurial endeavors, you know, there was periods of intense pressure with that. I got in a car accident. There's a lot of different things that happened, but ultimately 
challenge creates, you know, adaptation and resistance creates adaptation. And that's been the pathway for me. I mean, learning a lot about my own self-love or deficiency thereof, which the open relationship highlighted my, um, you know, overextension of self, which I think led to the car accident, making, trying to take care of everybody and not letting anybody take care of me until I was just absolutely exhausted. Um, there was a lot of different situations and things that I learned. It's, but it's all on a continuum. You know, there was not a single moment where I can say, oh, after this point, everything was different. It was uh, kind of a constant continuum going as far back as I can remember. But certainly there was points of dramatic acceleration that certainly happened. And, and when I met Vailana, my wife right now, I mean, that was a period of dramatic acceleration where I started to learn from love instead of learning from challenge. Um, and there was certainly some challenging times in that, you know, year that I got in my car accident and a lot of things erupted, uh, in my former relationship with Whitney, that was, uh, 2017, 2018, there was an acceleration of growth in that year. And, but it's been a hell of a ride, man. And, um, I'm grateful to be where I'm at right now, having harvested all the lessons. I wouldn't want to go through it all again, but I would. <laughs> if I, if I needed to. And, uh, and that's just, that's just the way of it. Yeah, man. I, I, I can definitely, uh, identify with that. A couple things to unpack there. Um, with, um, uh, with, uh, you know, your relationship with Vailana and also your car accident. Um, I, like, I know you've, you've talked about your accident and, and everything, but, um, you know, I've also had a massively like life-changing accident as well. So, so I think there's value in talking about the lessons learned in, in that thing. But um, what do you think? You want to introduce Vailana and kind of talk about the story of, of how that came to be and, you know, what, what are, how are things going with Vailana? What has she brought into your life? Well, I always thought one of the reasons why I was, drawn to polyamory was because I thought, well, I mean, I love so many aspects of people. I love all different, you know, all different aspects of so many different individuals to ultimately decide that I only wanted to be with one person. It didn't make any sense to me because I figured that I was going to have to compromise in something. Like maybe I would love this aspect of them, but they wouldn't have this aspect. But if I was polyamorous, well, I could find somebody who was really strong in each of the different aspects and create the perfect partner, like a Frankenstein's monster, where I got to experience all the parts of everything I loved in a variety of different people. Uh, philosophically, it's a sound, it's sounds a sound good in theory. Sounds great in <laughs> it theory. sounds great in theory. In practice, it's brutal because you're in love and there's jealousy and then there's rivalry and there's all of these different factors that despite my continual, diligent, you know, spiritual practices and efforts, I was never able to fully overcome, which means that how could I expect any of my other partners to be able to fully overcome it if I couldn't even do it myself? So it was a task too great for what I was actually capable of. But philosophically, I still think it makes sense. But with Vailana, I met somebody who actually, I mean, I liken it to having a bingo card with a hundred different squares and then every single square, it just hits, it hits, it hits, it hits. And, you know, you're putting a checker on every square, all 100 out of 100. And I, I really didn't think that was possible. Now, I'd, I had known Vailana for a couple of years and I'd been in love with her for a while. So I thought that maybe, but without the intimacy of a relationship, just being in a friendship, you don't really know. You don't really know what it's like until it's on the inside. But I thought that maybe she might be that, that person. And she absolutely is. And you know, I, I feel very lucky. I don't know, you know, when I talk to people and they're like, I wish I could say, you know, I promise you that this person is out there for you. I can't promise that though. I still feel really lucky. I feel like I won the universe's greatest lottery of all time that we were able to come together. Now, you can also take the spiritual perspective that there are no coincidences. And certainly I believe that as well. But nonetheless, I feel incredibly blessed. And it's just been you know, it's been beautiful. Of course, there's little things that come up and as we adjust to each other and learn to each other, but, um, it's, you know, been the absolute greatest blessing in my life. Yeah. It's very, uh, it's very interesting to me. Um, the complexity that 
that is involved in, you know, like Vailana and you, you're, you're two people who have, you're very complex people. You have multiple different talents. You have done all these plant medicine journeys and other psychedelic journeys. And uh, you've got a lot of things going on. And like, it strikes me that like, you couldn't just date whoever you want, basically. Like you couldn't just bring any, just anyone into your life because they have to like vibe with fit for service and they have to like, Mm -hmm. you know, vibe with your, with your crew and everything. And, and, um, I just find it really interesting to see this relationship bloom because it feels like Vi's fitting in like a wet t-shirt. Like, you know, I, I, you see her in like the fit for service community and, you know, like, uh, like the, it just seems like a really great. It's none. That's what I'm saying. It's an unbelievable ask because I'm such a diverse and complex individual. Like I want somebody who doesn't always have to unload the deadlift bar when we're, when we're deadlifting. Okay. So that's criteria one. There's lots of people like that, you know, but then that person, I want to be able to go on the blistering edge of the most intense psychedelic experience and have her right there with me connecting in consciousness there. All right. Well, now we're asking even more. Okay. And then I want her to be able to, to dance like a, you know, a dervish at Burning Man, you know, under the midnight, under the midnight sky, like, okay, that's another criteria. And that just, just keeps, it just keeps going. Then she has to, you know, fit in with the fit for service and be like that, be the queen of this kind of, um, this group of beautiful souls, you know, and be there to serve all of them and be there. And like, so the list is so immense and to have somebody who fits all that is just, uh, it's really unreal. And the, the benefit to life to have a relationship like that, it's, it's so exponential. It's like everything is just exponentially better when you have that aspect of your life locked in place, like business gets better, fun gets better, weekends get better, chilling out and watching movies gets better, going Mm -hmm. to the gym gets better, you know, going out for dinner gets better. Like everything is, I guess I'm kind of speaking from my own personal experience, but when I, when I don't have a love relationship and I, I went like, I went through basically all of my twenties up until about 30 years old without having a long-term love relationship. And I was totally convinced that like, I want my freedom. I want to be single. I want to be able to get together with someone. If I feel a connection, I don't want to be tied down. But then having gone through like actually my first long-term relationship was with, with Tatiana and that lasted four years. And then I'm like, Oh, this is why relationships are good. Like just having that like best friend with you, that soundboard who's always there to help you make decisions and, you know, even help your business. And, and like, it just adds so much to life. So, you know, when you and Whitney uh, split up and I knew you were like, suffering a little bit because of that emotionally and kind of, you know, feeling a bit of loneliness and stuff like I felt for you. And I was really authentically happy for you when to hear that you and Vi got married and, and like, you guys didn't like, you did it in your own very, very like Aubrey way too, was just like, you just like did it. And then you can't kind of came out and you mm-hmm. didn't spend a whole lot of time, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. Like how, how was that process for you of like deciding and then actually going about it and announcing it to the world and everything like that? Well, as I said, I've been in love with her for a while. So when the opportunity arose, I was like, I'm going all in. And if I go all in and I get busted, so what? At least I know that I pushed every single chip I had in the pot. And because I was sure. And, you know, she was she was sure pretty quickly as well. I was sure probably a little bit before she was. But um, yeah, I mean, that was it. I was just, this is one of those all in moments where I'm, and people were like, come on, man, like, you know, give it a moment. Like, how do you know? And I was like, listen, I can't explain to you how I know, but I know, I know with every cell of my being, I know in a way that I've never known anything before. So it was a certainty. And, uh, and that certainty was also a, a great, alleviation of stress because you're always analyzing like, cause I, I really love Whitney, you know, and, and I was always thinking like, maybe it could be, I think this might be, but it was always that tension, that stress of wondering if, you know, and if a few things, 
you know, were to transform and if a few ways that we related changed and maybe then, and all of that was, you know, it's a form of suffering, always analyzing and wondering. And then to just be absolutely sure, I mean, that's a, that's a great blessing. But I will tell you, one of the things that has been a challenge is it is better for all aspects of life, except for the ego-based motivation and, and some of that drive. Like, this is one of the things that I've wanted more than anything else. You know, it's not like I love, you know, I have, I have my Tesla, it's, it's great, but I'm not like trying to get a bunch of Bentleys and I'm not like, I don't care about fancy watches. It's not like money that really drives me. I wanted to have an incredible partner. And that was like part of my motivation. Like I want to be the greatest person I can be so that I can attract the greatest lover of all time. And then I get the greatest lover of all time. And I'm like, wait a minute, what's my motivation now? And it has to, it's, so it's really chasing me to a certain degree and and given me a purity of purpose because now I don't have the selfish motivations on. It's been incredibly successful. All my other endeavors, my book's been successful, Fit for Service is successful. I'm living my purpose. But the only thing left for me is that call to service, is the call to give the world my very best. Um, And the ego aspect of it has been removed. And ego motivation, it's like, it's like a coal oven. It's a dirty fuel, but it's fuel, you know, yeah, no doubt yeah. about it. And I was, I was burning that coal oven my whole life. And so it was a reorientation to saying, I, I'm not, there's nothing that I'm doing for me anymore. I have to do this for the real purest reason. And I always cared about the world and I always loved the world and I always gave to the world in that way. But now it's like, the only thing left for me is is the pure motivation, which is beautiful. It's just a reorientation of moving from love rather than moving from ego. That's interesting to hear you say that. Uh, that was actually something I wanted to ask you about, like kind of like what keeps you motivated to keep to keep going when it seems like, you know, you've I'm sure you've experienced points in your life where you feel like like you've gotten there, like you've got everything you need. Now what? Like now what do you do? You know? And uh and so what is it that, that keeps you moting, motivated? It, it seems like service is a big, a big driver for you. Like you're motivated to serve. You're motivated to help other people serve better. And that's what brought you to create Fit for Service. We even called it Fit for Service. You, right. like, uh, the model was, um, what was the model for that? Something In order to be at service, you have to be fit for service. Right, right, right. Right. So, um, so man, that's been its own huge adventure for you, right? Like that's, you're in your, what, your third year, third year now? You're going oh, to your third year? Yeah, 2021 will be the third year. Wow. So, um, what, uh, what kind of common threads are you seeing that people join this community for? What, uh, what are they coming in for? What are people wrestling with? And what are you seeing are like the, the gems that people are walking away from and what kind of, you know, what kind of gratification does that have for you to see these changes that are, are taking place in people's lives? I think people come for a lot of reasons, but what they end up having is the pearl of inestimable value is the community. It's feeling like they're not alone anymore, that they can share absolutely anything that's going on in their life. And they're going to have some, they're going to have a tribe of people who are there to listen and say, oh yeah, you know, I've been through that too. I, in, in some way, in some form, I've experienced what you're going through and this is what helped me and what's helping you. And, and so it's a, it's a group of people that's just learning and growing together. And it's, it's absolutely the community that's the most valuable thing. And, and to drive that community to get closer is a lot of, you know, rituals and rites of passage. And so it's the breath work and the ecstatic dance and the temescal and you know, all of the different practices that we can do. Now, of course, because we're a U.S.-based organization, we can't go and have, you know, plant medicine ceremonies. That would be another great rite of passage that would bring us all closer together, but that's not available from a legality standpoint where we're at. So we use all of the other practices, which are also incredibly powerful. And I think, you know, people, especially even for me, you know, I started on my plant medicine journey when I was 18 and had my own you know, ride a passage vision quest and took some mushrooms out in the mountains with the shaman when I was 18. And, and so that was my introduction. So when I first got into breath work, I was like, what are you saying that I'm going to breathe and something significant is going to happen? Like, whatever, I'll just do mushrooms. 
but when I actually got into it, I was like, wow, this is, you know, as powerful a medicine as anything else. It just is accessing your somatic body in a different way. And same with ecstatic dance and same with all of the, you know, sweat practices. They're all different, powerful medicines that all deserve their place in the pantheon. So we go through all of that together and, uh, and that just brings people closer and closer. And the results have been incredible for people, you know, from business partnerships to romantic partnerships to just lifelong friendships and just that sense of <clears throat> deep, deep community. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, we've had we've had a number of people. Actually, we have someone from Fit for Service at Soltara right now. She's got here last night. Yeah, Maria. Maria. Yeah, Maria. Yeah, I uh, I just uh, I met her last night. Um, yeah, they've uh, they've got a very small group this week. Eight people, just eight people here this week. This was, uh, you know, we're still kind of. Still kind of fighting through a little bit of residual lockdown, uh, you know, slowdown, but uh, eight people, you can't go wrong. That's a really, it's a really nice group size. That's beautiful. Yeah. Super chill. But I mean, then uh, Kyle and Caitlin are coming, I think in January. Um, and Eric. Eric will be back. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you're coming. And I'll be there. I'll be there with like 20 of the brothers and sisters from Fit for Service too. So for Fit for Service. Assuming, I mean, I am a little bit worried. I have to admit that I'm a little bit worried about what the winter season is going to do for, you know, lockdowns and the change of administration and, and what's going to happen with travel and everything. But, you know, we can say some prayers and hopefully, uh, hopefully it remains. You and me both, man. You and me both. I watch the news with a healthy dose of anxiety every day. You yeah. Know, I locked Toronto just went back into lockdown for 28 days. London's going into lockdown. I mean, as long as they're not closing the airports, you know, I think that's, man, it's a real tough situation um, around the world, I think. And, yeah, like, I don't know if there's a real clear path forward, a real clear answer that anybody can agree on. You know, some people think that the virus isn't really that bad and we should just go full steam ahead. Uh, I probably might lean closer toward that camp. But uh, other people are in, totally in support of just total lockdowns. So it's... Mm -hmm. uh, got any opinions on that or... It's a touchy subject. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 difficult. You know, I mean, I think what really is needed is a nuanced is a nuanced discussion. And I think people people under underestimate what the cost of a lockdown is, you know, and what the cost of wearing masks are and what the costs of all these things. And so they're not looking at a robust picture and they're being really guided by fear. And I think what's really needed is to is a holistic view of, you know, what are the actual consequences of, you know, absolutely decimating, you know, economies in different countries? What's the cost of isolation on human health? I mean, loneliness is the number one predictor of early mortality. <clears throat> but how many people are talking about what the effect of isolation is on loneliness and what the long-term effects there are on that? How many people are talking about, you know, the comorbidity rates, which is, you know, 12 times higher risk of some serious adverse event from COVID if you have one or more comorbid, you know, conditions like, you know, obesity or different things. And people aren't really looking at supporting the organism holistically at the same time. So whatever, whatever your opinion is, I think the key thing and what I try to voice is like, we have to look at this in a much more holistic and much more well-rounded position and look at all of the different factors. Like what is the, you know, what are the fact, how does this affecting domestic violence and domestic abuse, both the women and children, you know, how, how much are they suffering from this? And what's the, what's the cost of that? What are those, what are those deaths count for? You know, it's not just one death toll that we're looking at. What's the suicidality death toll? What's the, you know, economic downturn going to cause to world you know, famine and, and different issues. It'd be good that are to going have on. like a misery index. Like right. you, you wrap all that stuff in into misery. Like, cause really, I mean, if you look at it objectively, if the world loses a million people, like objectively, it has really zero impact on, on the world or on society, except for the misery that that causes, right? Someone dies, the family's miserable or, 
but I mean, that's, it, it's really kind of an emotional thing. And then, but, but what's not being calculated is the misery that's caused by keeping people locked in their houses for a year or, you know, having all of these, like, you know, millions and millions of small business owners, productive members of society who have like, say worked for 10 years or 20 years to save up just enough money to put into their dream. And now they're running a little business and you know, they're, they're doing it for the passion of, of the freedom that they get or, or, or to serve their communities. And then the government just comes in and flips them off like a light switch. Like nobody even cares about those people. Um, and you know, that causes misery too, because then those people go out of business. Maybe those people, commit suicide maybe the people who work for them now have to go on government programs and it's not like you can like you can flip that stuff off a lot easier than you can flip it back on like those businesses take years of effort and saving and investment and like just blood sweat and tears to grow and you and i can both speak from experience because we've put those blood sweat and tears into growing businesses from scratch and you know when you're in your first few years, it's like, it's really hard, man. So. Yeah. It's, and that's, and that's what, it, that's what it is. What we're, what we're all pointing to is it really a nuanced look. And that's what I think is missing. You know, it's not that any of us have a crystal ball and we understand what's best, but we need to have an open dialogue where, you know, a lot of people are analyzing all of the different factors and talking about it. And it feels like people are being very myopic. And, and that's the thing that worries me. And also the censorship and everything else that's going on. That's, you know, I think that's, uh, that's something to be really wary of whenever, you know, people are stepping in and denying the access to these conversations where we're really looking at, okay, what is the efficacy of social isolation? What is the efficacy of masks? Is this actually working? And when you look at the populations who are adhering to these policies, is this helpful? And where are we being ridiculous? You know, I know in, in some of the areas in, in Canada, I think in, uh, in BC, they were recommending that people have sex through a glory hole. And then something just came out in Toronto where they were recommending that you, you have your partner face the other direction while you're having sex. So like doggy style only, like what, like, what are we talking about? Have we, have we ventured into the realm of ridiculous here? You know, I mean, and, and I think that's where we have to just kind of take a look and say like, all right, fear is a little bit out of control here you know, we're all going to die. And so, you know, and this is, this is a, this is a a pestilence on humankind, but we've survived and withstood many of them. So what's the best course of action? And maybe it is to lock down and maybe it is to wear masks. And I'm not, I don't have enough information to say like, I know the way, but I, I have enough information to say, let's ask questions and let's talk and let's celebrate the voices that are putting out the disparate opinions, because that's what science is. Science is the art of asking questions. And the moment we stop asking questions is the moment that science becomes dead and dead science is dangerous science. Yeah, man, you, uh, you had a really impressive podcast with, uh, Sean Stevenson. Was it, if I remember correctly, yeah. doctor, is he Dr. Sean Stevenson? Or? No, he's been a, a health researcher for like the last 20 years. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, I, I thought that, uh, that interview was, was really good very nuanced and, and, uh, you know, it's really hard to have conversations about this stuff. And I think, you know, a lot of content creators have struggled a little bit at this time with trying to dig in a little bit, trying to investigate a little bit, trying to kind of find more nuanced information, more nuanced truths, perhaps alternative viewpoints and have been getting outright, censored like jp and amber sears did a great podcast uh, a week or two ago about this i just interviewed uh brian rose a week or two ago for this show and he's been you know he's been deplatformed he's been threatened uh, to lose his channel on youtube um and a lot of people any any it's it's you know it's not even that he is saying something. He's not making a statement. He's just interviewing various people who have other opinions or, or presenting alternate research. So then you've got, I think the YouTube community standard was anything that goes against WHO guidelines 
but how many times have WHO guidelines changed as well, right? Like at first it was lockdown and then they outright came out and said, yeah, lockdowns cause more poverty and misery than they do save lives. So, um, yeah, it's just really hard to, to kind of even have a conversation about it. It is. And people are very emotional. You know, whenever people are scared, they're emotional. And, and I think ultimately we have to have compassion for everybody. And I think the instinct is to get very polarized and, and to really kind of say, this is my, this is my belief. This is your belief. I'm against you. And I think more, more than ever, people need to reach across and say, like, I get it. You know, you're scared and I understand, you know, I'm scared too, but let's look at, let's just look at this and, and really hear each other out um, without that initial emotional reaction. And that's, you know, spiritual temperance and emotional temperance. And I think uh, the world needs a lot more of that, whether it's political or whether it's, you know, regarding our health, you know, if everybody can just take a few deep breaths and, and really start to listen to each other, I think hopefully that's what'll come out of all of this polarization is ultimately people will get sick of being polarized and sick of being isolated and sick of all of the emotional bickering and, uh, and really try to come together with, uh, you know, the chorus of, of various different voices that make up a healthy society. Yeah, man. I think, uh, I think that that's so important right now. And you see the same thing, uh, on the, on the political side where, um, you know, I think, I think another thing you and I, uh, share in common is that we're, we're willing to kind of critique both sides of the aisle without taking a position on either one of them when it comes to, to politics. And I think even just trying to do that, to have like, I've kind of made a pledge to have a unifying message in everything I do. I think that's what the world needs right now. So, um, but yeah, like I, I noticed, um, when, when the election was over, the, 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 the left, um, party, the Democrats, talked a lot in in the campaign about the need for healing and healing the soul of the nation and and um and bringing people together <clears throat> and almost immediately after the election was over and it looked like Biden was going to become the president elect i just saw so much of like this really hateful and aggressive uh messaging coming out like against the right against the the Trump supporters. And that didn't seem like unifying messaging at all. That didn't seem like, that didn't seem like what they were saying the country needs right now at all. Right. Because you've got, yeah. Okay. So, so say, uh, say Biden got like, I don't know, 75 million votes or something. And Trump got approximately 71 million or something like that that's still a lot of votes, right? So, Mm. so you got these 75 million people telling 71 million people that like, basically like, fuck you guys, fuck Trump, fuck you, you know, can't wait to get this guy out of the office. And, and how is that mending anything? Like, what is that act? What, what effect is that actually achieving? So, you know, yeah, this, this, I think the, the need you illuminated, for nuanced conversation, remove the emotions from the picture, look at the data, involve everybody in the conversation, you know, like just get people together in the conversation and, and take away the kind of the tribal mentality and the, and the polarized approach to everything. Um, hopefully, you know, hopefully that we, we can start walking that path going forward. Do you, do you see an optimistic or pessimistic viewpoint of where the country goes from here? I think, you know, we move oftentimes as an adaptation to, you know, something that's desperate and something that's, you know, so ridiculous that it actually becomes a mirror that allows us to see ourselves. And unfortunately, I think that's the way we're heading. We're heading to the place where things are so ridiculous and so contentious and so polarized and so hateful that eventually people are going to be like, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of this, you know, division and I'm tired of this hate and I'm tired of, you know, all, all of these judgments that I'm casting upon my neighbors. And, and hopefully that's, you know, what's happening. I always, I think about, 
you know, think about uh, a variety of different people coming together in a story. And that story is the Fellowship of the Ring, where the, the hobbits and the dwarves and the elves and the humans, they all started getting along. And the elves, which were usually, you know, hating on the dwarves and vice versa, and the humans, which were, you know, had no interest in the hobbits and the, everything, they were all different tribal identities. Well, then a, a great dark force rose up, you know, the rise of the two towers and Sauron and Saruman and, and an evil force rises in the world. And then everybody's like, oh, shit, we got to get together. Let's put aside our petty differences and let's come together. And, you know, hopefully while there's no individual dark force, the dark force is the division itself. The dark force is the judgment itself. It is all of these nameless, faceless entities that we're encountering. And I believe that that will bring people together. And it's just, it's a painful process. I wish people could move from pure inspiration. But um, I think oftentimes, humankind, we need a little desperation. and We need the mirror of something really challenging to really bring us together. So, you know, things might have to get worse before they get better. But I have faith that, you know, we'll make the adaptations that, that are needed because we really need each other. You know, there's no way we can do this alone. We need all of us. Yeah. It's it, it's interesting that you that you just called out the medium as the as the culprit rather than the message, mm. right? And I'm it's crazy. I'm actually experiencing the same thing, uh, kind of right here, uh, right here in my own world, where it's been there's been some kind of communications going back and forth of in in a in a destructive way, people communicating in a destructive way. And I, what I've seen is it's not actually what they're communicating that I want to focus on. Like I say, an act, accusation of something, someone's accusing somebody of something, but they do it through back channels to, to somebody else. And then it, it just, it gets kind of like a, a gossipy convoluted mess. And, um, what I'm seeing is that act of communicating is more destructive than whatever accusations are, are, are being changed mm-hmm. hands. And so I want to, I, I want to call out that medium of communication of back channel gossiping, kind of backstabbing sabotage, like anything that appears like that to me is the evil right there. It's not, it's not whatever act that somebody did that someone else is now telling someone else about. I don't, I'm not going to try to get to the root of that. What I'm trying to get to the root of is who is doing this kind of uh, destructive communication amongst the team. And like that needs to be rooted out. And then once you root out that, and once you have these clear channels of communication, and when you create a culture of direct, mature communication between people, you know, which I'm sure you guys talk a lot about in, in fit for service of just speaking your heart in the moment in real time. So you're not holding on to something, letting it stew and fester. And then you need to discharge some of that vile, evil, whatever it is, sludge. And go, and so you have to go and, and start uh, uh, handing it off to other people um, rather than just dealing with it in the moment and speaking it directly to the person who should hear it, right. who's relevant. Right. Yeah, that's it. You know, it's it's really about we all have our opinions, but if we can all speak those opinions, receive those opinions and hear each other, great. We're in a good spot. But it's when it's exactly the the actual methods that you're talking about, the medium that you're talking about that becomes a real challenge. So, well said. So, uh so for you what has been the most challenging aspects of growing a startup company from scratch. What's your journey been like from zero startups to now running multi-decamillion dollar on it? I think um, there's what, what you have to expect is that you're getting into something that you don't exactly know what you're doing yet. (laughs) You know, like, I never, if you've never done this before, you know, like I'm not going to do it, but if I wanted to start another company, well, I'd have the experience of how to start a company like on it. I have no desire to, but I would know it. But the first time building a company like that, there's challenges at every single, at every single corner. Every time you push into a, a different unknown 
quadrant, whether that's an unknown growth or whether that's unknown compliance issues or whether that's unknown logistics or supply chain or ideation or marketing or whatever, everything is relatively unknown and unproven. So you have to really just be very flexible, you know, and very like, you have to have a clear vision, but also the willingness to admit when you're wrong and just understand like, oh, missed that one, wrong there. Oh, this one seems to be working, appears I'm right in this one. And and just really learn to trust yourself. And from the hiring and firing process to everything, it's all uh, it's all learning on the fly. And I think, um, but that's the only way to learn. You know, there's nothing that anybody can teach you in any books. And podcasts can give some helpful advice, but until you actually do it, you don't really know what you're doing. Yeah. And so, you know, my advice to everybody would be to just fucking do it. And however, every everything that happens, no matter what happens, whether you fall flat on your face and whether you fail, like you're going to learn and you're going to gain experience. And that experience is what's going to actually make you a better leader over and over again. So I, the only advantage that I had is that I ran a marketing company before on it. So I understood at least some of the marketing and product development and you know outreach side of the business because I was able to do that for other businesses. So I had some actual experience. But as far as being a CEO, I had virtually none. So it was just really learning, learning as I went, you know, every step of the way. But ultimately, like the golden rule for me was just always be in balance with reciprocity. So make sure that I'm giving to the customers more than they're paying me, you know. So that means having really high quality products, having really honest communication, great customer service. You know, we we developed a policy where people don't have to actually return the product to get a refund as long as they're not buying in bulk or in high quantities, because I realized that it was a game, you know, like so many other companies would be like, yeah, you can return this. You just have to have your initial receipt in your initial box. And it has to be delivered to this special PO box and, and all of these steps and people are like, ah, fuck it. And then they never, they never buy from you again because they're, you know, have this bad taste in their mouth. But if you have a good product, and I, I've really just erred on the side of trusting people. I'm sure there's been some people who fraudulently said, you know, like, oh, I didn't like it. I want my money back. And then they just devoured the whole thing and they loved it. And there's some checks in place that we can put in for those type of fraud. But ultimately, like trusting people has paid off. And, and that's, uh, that's been a big lesson is um, people are a lot more trustworthy than we think they are. We always look at those few bad actors and assume that the whole world is going to be like that. But most of the world is not like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um... That's true. That's very, very true. And, you know, a lot of times people become trustworthy based on how much you trust them. Right. You know, if you anticipate that they're going to screw you around, there's a much higher chance that they will. Yeah. And if you, if you put your faith in them and say, that's cool, man, I trust you. I trust you. If you, if you screw me over, it's on you, you know, it's your karma. It's yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I've got a chapter uh, in my new book, uh, 12 Laws of the Jungle, called Build Your Masterful Tribe. And what I've found throughout my own journey as an entrepreneur is that having a team, having a tribe that you can depend on, I, ca I call it the nuclear tribe in the book, like that kind of tight knit, ride or die, you know, until the last mapacho is smoked <laughs> community you know, that, that, that I can count on, even if we fight or whatever, I know that they're there until the bitter end. Um, and then, you know, from there, like kind of the strength of that nuclear tribe, it almost creates like a center of gravity. Like it all, it, it, it's like a, it's like a, a planet in a solar system and, uh, sorry, a sun in a solar system and it attracts other planets in. What, uh, what has your, I, I know you've got a very strong tribe as well. I know you've got a very tight knit, like nuclear tribe. You have been throughout this whole, uh, on a journey and you've also managed to grow a massive kind of peripheral tribe as well. So, um, do you have any kind of comments or, or insight philosophies, theories about bringing people into your orbit and building a really masterful uh, team of people around you? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, uh, 
it's a it's a combination of a few different things. I mean, one like a person's character is really important, and so going through different things that actually allow you to illuminate that character is is something that's really helpful for that nuclear tribe. Like someone who's willing to um, willing to go through the challenging experiences, willing to go through those vulnerable experiences, and sometimes you know for the on it you know nuclear nuclear tribe it's not quite the same as the fit for service nuclear tribe. You know, I mean, there's different levels of access. So in business, it's sometimes the temperance of challenging situations that really reveal character when someone has the opportunity to take advantage and they have the opportunity to quit, but they don't, you know, then it's the actual challenge of the business itself that reveals the character of the person within it. Uh, Other times you'll have the opportunity to be like, Hey, come with me. We're going to go do a, a sweat lodge ritual. And then you watch what happens at hour three when it's been dark and, and the steam has been hot and the prayers have been going for three hours. Like what, what do they have in them? You know, where's the, who's the person that emerges? Is it a diamond at the, at the core or is it, you know, something that's uh, combustible, you know, brittle. And, and that's the thing that I think um, I'd love being able to get to that point where it reveals. I used to, I remember back in the day, um, knowing that a lot of people weren't going to be down for the more spiritual rites of passage, I would at least get really drunk with somebody, you know, who was going to be in my inner tribe because because drinking will bring out a lot of different things. Sometimes it brings out aggression. Sometimes it brings out, you know, ineptitude and bad decision-making, but the people who I was going to trust, I'd be like, well, I want to be able to trust you half a bottle of tequila in just like I trust you when you're sober, you know? So there's a lot of different ways where you can kind of look at that. And then, so that's one aspect character. The other aspect is just actual proficiency. Like how competent are they? And are they really the best professional for the job? Are they really the most qualified? And, uh, and it's a trade-off sometimes. Sometimes you have somebody who's incredibly qualified, but their character scores are a little low. Sometimes you have a vice versa where their character's impeccable, but they're not really qualified. And, you know, I, I tended to, to lean for my personal, the people who I interact with most in my personal brand and fit for service, I've definitely leaned toward the character side. And then for on it, um, definitely lean for the competence side. And I think, uh, mm. but ultimately it has to be a mix of both. That's really great insight. That's really great insight. I can, uh, I can certainly identify with you. So you like to kind of put people through your own kind of Aubrey style, right? Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> for sure. Uh, yeah, I, I think I do too. And I might even be a little bit uh, sadistic in that, <laughs> in that context. <laughs> but, you know, you, you, man, if you're going to be depending on people to go right to the bitter end with, you really want to make sure they're made of stone, yep. you know? And, and, and sometimes that is actually trained. Like sometimes, you know, sometimes you, you need to assist that process mm-hmm. in its development a little bit. Are you a hard guy to work for? I don't think so. You really push people? I don't think so. I mean, uh, I mean, there's certainly some times where I've been very demanding. I think, but probably on, I err on the side of being too easy to work for rather than too hard to work for, you know, because I'm, I, the the interesting the the part of that's probably challenging with me is I'm so I'm the absolute opposite of a micromanager. So unless you really have a clear vision and you're a really strong like self starter and initiator, um, you know I'm not going to be giving you every single project that you need to do. Like I expect you to be looking at the situation, identifying problems before I even have to point them out, and then coming up with solutions. You know on your own. And I'm really constantly empowering people to do that. So people who like that, they really thrive and they really flourish. The people who have really struggled are the people who need to be told exactly what to do. And they end up not, not being able to make it because I'm not going to do that. I don't have the time nor the interest in doing that. I want someone who is going to be able to look at the macro and be like, okay, this is what I can do. And this is what I need to do. So, you know, that's what I really, that's what I really call forward in people. Dude. I'm a hundred percent the same way. Like, yeah, I'm a big fan of like, there's a problem, throw five people in the mix, 
and see if somebody emerges as a leader who's solving the problem. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh yeah. No, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's, I think that's a great approach. And what you end up with, you know, even if it's a little bit challenging for people sometimes is you wind up with really competent, really self-driven, really problem solving oriented people. Mm. So those people become fantastic additions to the team. So you got to rock pretty soon. Um, you know, I'm obviously starting a show right now. You are a master in this space, have been for many years. You know, everybody, um, any, any keys that I should focus on when I'm growing my show, when I'm, uh, you know, going out to network with busy and important people, you know, such as yourself, and this, of course, would be advice for anybody. There's a lot of people in your audience and my audience who are trying to start a show or whatever. So um, any like like nuggets of wisdom there? Well, everything is based on reciprocity, right? I mean, that's the basis of all friendships, all relationships, all business partnerships, anything like this. So you have to, if when you're networking, when you're growing, you have to understand what you're, be mindful of reciprocity in all aspects. So for your listeners, you have to make sure the quality of your show is worth their time. They're giving you time. Your show has to deliver value that's equal or greater to the time that they're giving. you. And the greater, you know, what you're giving is to the amount of time they're giving, the better off you'll be from the listener standpoint. And then as far as networking to other individuals, you have to take a look at what you have to offer. Now, a new show, the struggle is, is that you're not going to be able to offer a lot of you know, growth for their platforms and a lot of listens and, and those kind of massive things. Like it's real easy for someone like Tim Ferriss or Joe Rogan. You know, it's like, yeah, come on my show and we'll get, you know, in Joe's case, tens of millions of people to listen to you. And in Tim's case, so, you know, whatever, a million or two, I don't know what his numbers are, but like, those are a ton of people, you know, I mean, even for me, I have enough people where just coming on the show is enough. But however, you know, still I'm mindful of that because my show's not as big as these guys. So, you know, what else am I offering? Friendship, you know, support in, in whatever they're going through in their life. And, and I think that's something that, you know, you've done a good job as well. You have a great, you know, you have a great thing going with Soltara and a lot of people are highly interested in that. And, you know, let's be, let's be frank, we're friends, but one of the reasons why I'm, you know, jumping on the show is you made you know, you made a very generous offer to always support all of my tribe and my circle and a constant ongoing offer anytime I wanted to go down there and experience the medicine. And you've been there in a way that's like, okay, like you're supporting me in a variety of different things. So I'm happy to go on and do this show and support you because the reciprocity is in balance. You know, I'm not going to receive from this show a value equal to what I gave for my time for being there. But holistically, you've provided ample value for everything that you've offered and offered to my family and offered to everybody else. So the reciprocity is in balance. And I think that's the, that's the key thing. And, and you do that naturally really well. And I think that's, you know, why you're going to be really successful in this is that you have something to really offer people that's of significant and important value. And, um, and that's the, and that's the key. And then as your show grows, then you'll have that additional thing where it's like, ah, well now I'm getting, you know, 25,000, 50,000 downloads a show. And so now that's another thing that can help, you know, grow people's platform and raise awareness about anything that they're going through. So, um, but it's all, it's all reciprocity. You know, it's all about reciprocity. Sage wisdom, my friend, thank you so much. And, you know, I really, really appreciate you making the time. You know, I actually came up with my list of the first 12 episodes who I would love to have on the show. I, I put you on that list with a big question mark beside it because I thought you were probably a long shot. But, you know, what's actually surprised me is that some of the people who I thought were for surely dependable and sure things on that list didn't show up, but you did. <laughs> so, um, like, infinite gratitude, man. Like, I'll always be here to support you in every way that I can. And, of course, you know, your, your whole clan fit for service and everything um, you know, you guys are absolutely always, uh, welcome at Soltara and, um, and, you know, we're just happy to have this like healthy relationship going on between the two clans. 
Unite the clan. Unite the clan. <laughs> um, so yeah, man, thank you so much for uh, for your time. It, it really does mean a lot, and I hope we can have uh, more more chats in the future when when maybe I can offer a little more value in terms of leadership, <laughs> in terms of reach. Um, but anyways, you're coming down here in uh, in uh, January, so ideally, it it as the Costa Ricans would say, si Dios quiere. Si Dios quiere, if, if God wants, yeah. we're coming down here in uh, January with the Fit for Service crew. Uh, we've, got a, we've got a live studio here. So, you know, um, if you feel called, we can, we can sit, uh, sit down in the white leather chairs here and have a chat. But uh, we, can, we can make that decision as time goes on. So I guess to close out, what's next for you? What are you working on now? What do you want to direct people to what's exciting for people to, to follow up on here and, and last words for the audience? Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm really excited about all the podcasts that I have coming up over the next few months. You know, that's uh, that's a big thing. I think uh, I've been putting a lot of effort into the podcast. The book is still quite a ways away. I mean, we're talking uh, 2022 release. So, you know, nothing, nothing to, <laughs> nothing to hold your breath about there. Fit for service, as you mentioned, is, you know, a, a deep part of my heart. Um, but, you know, just continue to follow your own light and, and, uh, you know, find that love and acceptance and, and unity with as many people as you can. That's, that's as great a gift to me as, as anything else that anybody can do. Cool. Well, you're on Instagram at Aubrey Marcus mm-hmm. and Twitter, same handle, right? Yep um website aubreymarcus.com you've got your podcast on there you've got uh the ayahuasca documentary the wachuma documentary you got some binaural beats you got some other cool stuff on there lots of blogs and interesting poetry and writing and stuff bit of an eclectic an eclectic uh creative uh man over here um fit for service do you take uh, incomings on instagram or by email or by yeah, website aubreymarcus.com slash fit for service okay and it's on instagram at fit.for.service okay well there you go folks heard it straight from the source yeah. um highly recommend checking out all of aubrey's content checking out fit for service like i have met uh dozens of people i mean i was in a group of uh 150 or something like that so i met a lot of people in the first year but even since then a lot of people coming down to soltara really wide open just loving life just broken wide open expressing themselves feeling the love getting in really great relationships like you just see the sparkle in their eye at like yeah, that's a fit for service uh, sparkle right there. So, Thank you, I mean, from personal experience, highly recommend fit for service. Um, and uh, yeah, man, just Aubrey's a shit. So give him a follow. You're the shit. Thanks, man. You're welcome, brother. It's good to talk to you, man. We'll catch up soon. Peace out, man. Thank All you right. very much. See you, brother. The Daniel Cleland Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today for the Daniel Cleveland podcast. We truly enjoy you sharing your time with us. If you enjoyed the episode as much as we enjoyed sharing it with you, please like the episode, review the podcast, subscribe. If you're not already subscribed, these likes and reviews and subscriptions are the lifeblood of our show. So free for you, super important for us. Like, subscribe, and review. Thank you so much. Of course, this podcast would not be possible without the continued amazing sponsorship of Soltara Healing Center in Costa Rica. If you feel called to work with plant medicines, ayahuasca, shamanismo, curanderismo from Peru, from the Peruvian Amazons to Costa Rica, check out Soltara Healing Center at soltara.co or conveniently 1-800-397-1730 or look us up on social media at Soltara Healing Center. All kinds of great content, nonstop, 
coming out down the pike every day just for you. Thanks again so much for joining. I appreciate it beyond words, and I look forward to doing many more of these episodes for you and connecting. If you want to reach out to me, there's a contact form on my website, danielcleland.com. Feel free to hit me up. I read every email and try to respond to all of them. Thanks again. Much love to you, and I hope we get to catch up soon. All the best.